Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Tom Reed is well known as a wonderful pastor and evangelist. This sermon was preached at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida in 1999, and it's titled, Things We Need to Understand. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful message. Thank you, Dr. Peake, for singing that song for us so beautifully. I have been wanting to hear that song for months, literally. I've been asking our people at home to sing that song, A Sinner Like Me. I love the song. And then there's an interesting story in one of Caradine's books. He was out walking one day, either in Mississippi or Louisiana, one of those places, and he fell in behind a Negro man that was singing that song, A Sinner Like Me. And Caradine said, I just paced myself behind him and followed him right along as he sang in that beautiful, melodious voice that so many of them are gifted with. And he told of going past a yard where a lady was hanging out her wash and how she listened and she stopped and began to wipe her eyes with her apron. And she went on, he said, we went on down the street a little further and they crossed an alley where some men had been shooting dice. And he said, I watched them as they listened. And they picked up the dice and put it in their pocket and slipped off down the alley and told of two or three other things that happened and how his own soul was just bathed in blessing as uh, that, that man, unknowing that he was blessing anyone else, but he was blessing Caradine and others, a sinner like me. Do you know it is so important that we worship God? <clears throat> I love shouting. I love Holy Ghost demonstration. But I also love those times when God just settles down in such an awesome sense of His presence that our hearts are quieted in reverence and tears flow. I don't care how God comes. I just want Him to come. I just want Him to come. And any time God comes and wants to put aside our little program, I'm the first one to jump on board and say, Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. I think it was Dan Stafford, Barb Baker's dad, that I first heard tell the story of old Uncle John down in Tennessee in a hot summer. And I remember some of those summers when it would get so hot and the rain wouldn't come and the ground would bake and break open and the crops would dry up. And Uncle John had a little garden out on the edge of town that he'd been carrying water out to, trying to survive, trying to keep those plants alive. 
One hot August afternoon, God came with one of those wonderful storms. The heavens darkened, lightning began to flash, the clouds gathered, the wind began to blow, and all of a sudden the rain began to cascade down. And people who had been so drought-stricken so long were just sitting out on their front porches. You know, we lost something when we did away with front porches. Just sitting out on their front porches and enjoying and drinking in the atmosphere of that rain. And someone saw Uncle John going down the road with a cane-bottomed chair up over his head, just walking. They said, hey, Uncle John, where are you going? He said, I'm going to see God do in 15 minutes what I've been trying to get done all summer. I love preaching. I love singing, I love music, I love preaching more. But you know, we're all different. God speaks to us in different ways. I thought as Brother Barr was teaching this morning, I was just drinking it all in. The Nazarenes had Jack Hiles come for a ministerial some years ago. Hiles is a Calvinist, but he's a preacher. And he was preaching, and, and they were getting blessed. And the district superintendent got up, you know, he said, I believe that Dr. Hiles is sanctified and doesn't know it. Jack Hiles got up and said, I believe you Nazarenes are secure and don't know it. <laughs> Balance. Balance. There is such ministry in music. There is such ministry in the fellowship of the saints. There is such power in prayer. And there is such blessing in sacrificially giving. Brother Winters was reminding us of the heavy responsibility of this camp. The financial load. Thank God part of it has been taken care of, but there's a lot left to go. You know, the biggest battle that I have when it comes to giving is I run out of funds before I run out of desire to give. It's a whole lot harder on me not to be able to give than it is to give. And I hope that each of you will make that a matter. I don't even know that this is the time for it. Brother French, would you come up here a minute, please? Bob French is one of the finest, most godly, sacrificial men that I've ever known. Brother Schmuel said to me a number of years ago, he said, Tom, Bob French has one of the keenest minds in the holiness movement. And I've observed him across the years. I found that true. Brother Bob, you were sitting down there. You're tired. You're worn out. Some health problems. But I just wanted to say for myself, and I believe I speak for all of these who are here and thousands of others, that we love you. We appreciate what you and Ann have done here at Hope Sound. They have given their lives in ministry here at Hope Sound. Sister Heron sits over there. She and Brother Heron have poured their hearts out in ministry here at Hope Sound. Amen. And others have done the same thing. But I just wanted to publicly Bring Brother French up here and tell him that we love him. And we appreciate all that you've done. And we're praying earnestly for you in this transition time that God will renew you, give you a sense of direction, and that these years that remain will be the most fruitful and blessed years of your life. We love you, Bob. Thank you, Brother Tom. 
I appreciate your words in spite of all the lies you just told about me. Brother Heron used to say, lie on, I love it. <laughs> well, I love all of you. And uh, the richest thing I know, aside from the one thing that is the bright star of my life, right down here Sunday morning, God confirmed my, to my heart that my highest goal, God. Just like just like a star lighting Praise up in the God. sky, my highest goal is simply to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. To be like him, to be near him, and uh, position or money or none of these things hold any candle Amen. to simply being a Amen. disciple of Jesus Christ. And I love him, but next to that I love God's people. Yes. I love you, Amen. and I thank the Lord for the privilege of having just had a little part in the kingdom of God. And I intend to have a little part Praise in the kingdom God. of God. By the way, I'm not retiring. I'm resigning. There's two different things there. I plan to be busy in the Lord's work. Amen. Amen. God, God bless you, brother. I love you, brother Tom. Thank you. In spite of all. God. You say, is that in order? I think so. I think so. Some people like to say that they're self-made men. I'm not. I don't want to take all the blame. I'm the product of what others have put into my life. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the fact I am not highly educated and I'm not a homiletician. And I thought his brother Barr was expounding the word. He has a gift of exegesis. And that's a wonderful gift. In my 43 years of pastoring the same church, you've got to always be digging to find something fresh and new. And not, not that the Bible is lacking. It isn't that. It's just that I'm lacking. And you're always looking for something. And I was preaching through the book of Psalms once. And I was in one of those Psalms, you know, that talked about hating your enemies and wading through their blood and all of those things. Some Psalms are inspiring and others, well, they're Psalms. And... Uh, I think there was an AABC meeting in Chicago and Brother French and Brother Palm and Brother Whitaker were up there. They were staying at our house and that morning uh, we were having family worship and I read that psalm that was next on the list that I'd been struggling over. I couldn't get a thing out of it. And I, I said to the brethren, I said, you know, I, I'm hung up here. I, I'm supposed to be preaching through this and I can't get a thing. Mark, you'd appreciate this. I said, how about an outline? And Bob French and Ed Palms just spit out about three of them like that, faster than I could write. You know, I was writing as fast as I could. Uh, so some fellows are gifted that way. I was going around Indianapolis a number of years ago listening to Christian radio, and I heard Greg Dixon, uh, and he was doing some good preaching, pastors Indiana Baptist Temple or something like that there in the city. And I uh, wrote while I was driving around 465, and I took that message home and developed it, five things in hell that ought to be in every church. And I met Dr. Dixon sometime later at a, uh, a Right to Life rally or something like that. But he was there, and I, I told him, I said, Dr. Dixon, I took one of your sermons one time and reworked it. He said, which one was it? And I told him. Well, he said, that's not mine. I got that from somebody else. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, we're not all that original. Amos said to me this morning, he said, now, I can't stay too much longer. He said, I've got to hear you preach. I said, why? Do you need a new outline? He said, yes. 
All right, let's go back in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, shall we? I'm enjoying the good atmosphere of the camp meeting. I'm enjoying the fellowship of the saints. I'm enjoying the ministry of my brethren in the Word. I'm glad we're not all alike. I love fried chicken. My wife fries the best fried chicken in the world. Ask those ladies that are sitting over there by her. I mean, she does a lot of things well, but fried chicken is her touch. But when I was a boy, we went back to Tennessee on a vacation one time. We always did in the summertime. We were down there about two weeks. We had fried chicken three times a day for two weeks. That's right. You know, down south, back in the good old days, uh, they didn't go to the freezer and get one. They went out to the yard and found one and wrung its neck and plucked the feathers off and cut it up and fried the chicken. We had fried chicken for breakfast, for dinner, and supper. Three times a day for two weeks, I had all the fried chicken I wanted. So uh, whatever it is that you like, why, uh, thank God that there are other people that balance things. My mother was one of the most wonderful women I have ever known, one of the kindest persons I have ever known. And I almost worshiped my mother, but I did not inherit her appetite genes. Mom liked okra and fried uh, eggplant and fried green tomatoes and stuff like that. Man, that's hog food. I mean, you put that in a slop bucket. You know, she liked pineapple. I can't stand it. So we're all different, aren't we? All right, have you found the scripture? Will you stand for the reading of the word? Proverbs 4, beginning at verse 1. Those of you that have been here, we... I'll supposedly have preached a couple of times on this thing of getting wisdom. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved, in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all of thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give, she shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver unto thee. Father... Thank you again for your precious, beloved, cherished, wonderful presence in our midst. There is nothing that takes the place of the Word of God. And I beseech thee in the next few moments that thou will quicken both the mind and heart of the messenger and of this congregation that we might share together out of thy Word truth that will help us heavenward and make us a blessing to a sin-darkened world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Those of you that were here, remember, I'm sure you do, I wouldn't unless I had it written down, but I know you remember that my first point was that we need to understand the times that we're living in. They are perilous, they are dark, they are difficult, and we need to set our mind, as Daniel did, to understand them. Our primary source of understanding is the Bible. We also need to use prayer that the Spirit will quicken us and enlighten us, and then we need to use 
Whatever means of communication, I am a computer illiterate. I've got two in the church, one in the secretary's room, one in my study, and I turn them on occasionally, and uh, they don't do a thing for me. I'd much rather hold a book in my hand than to sit there and look at that computer screen. So uh, I'm not bragging on that. I don't mean that braggadociously, but I'm not into computers, and I think I'm too old to get involved in it now. But uh, those of you that are, they're a wonderful source of information. I'm not knocking that. And uh, Dave Morgan gave me a book last night about the numerical code that's in the Bible. And I think I disappointed him because uh, Dave's almost like a son. And I told him it sounded like a bunch of fooey to me. But anyway, he gave me the book and he said, you read it. So I started on it. I'll, I'll critique it for him when I get through. But anyway, uh, I'm not into computers. But we need to use all available information to us. Be careful what the source of your information is. Anyone can quote anybody and say they said it. I remember standing with Brother Heron one day and showing him uh, a little publication that a fellow had put out. And Brother Heron had been with that fellow in a camp meeting. And this fellow was writing about the camp meeting. And man, it sounded like... Pentecost magnified tenfold. And Brother Heron read through that and handed it back to me. And he said, you know, Tom, I don't believe I was there. So just, just remember, uh, be sure that the source of your information is an accurate source. The second thing that we need to understand is the atmosphere of our times. And I mentioned to you the liabilities, and I don't want to bore you with them, but uh, there are liabilities to our time. The departure of first love that is illustrated by Ephesus in by the way, these were taken from Revelation 2 and 3. The acceptance of false doctrine that is illustrated by Pergamos. The acceptance of immorality that is illustrated by Thyatira. Can I just stop and put in a plug for standards here? There's never been a time when dress standards have been more important than they are now. You ladies think that the hair question is just a cultural uh, thing that you can choose or not choose, but that is a distinguishing characteristic between male and female. And the breakdown of the sexes, the breakdown of roles, has been a primary contributing factor to the wave of homosexuality that we're experiencing in our day. The acceptance of immorality. We can see so much of it that, uh, you know, we, all, we almost get to the place to where it doesn't affect us anymore. Ladies, modesty is required of God for a reason. There is a biblical principle in every biblical standard. Now, I've heard fellows, we, we holiness people are, are our own worst enemies. We shoot ourselves in the feet. We shoot our wounded. And, and we make stupid statements that we cannot substantiate scripturally. But that doesn't do away with the truth. The truth is still there. And standards are important. Modesty is so important. And can I say something else here? I believe in women dressing modestly as the scripture teaches. But I think you should also dress tastefully when you're going out in public. Now, when you're at home, you can go around your house coat all day if you want to. And your husband hasn't got good sense. But uh, when you go out in the public... You ought to make yourself look as nice as you can. I, I see, uh, I see holiness women. I know they are because of their hair and their dress, but I confess to you that I'm embarrassed. They're just plain old sloppy. Charlie Warman said when he was in the army one time, uh, the, his uniform wasn't too uh, fitting too well, and the captain said to him, he said, Soldier, I said, be at attention. He said, I am at attention. My uniform's at ease. 
Well, you, you, while I'm already in over my head, the hair question. You ought, to, you ought to prepare your hair. You ought to arrange it as tastefully as you can. Wear it the way that your husband brags on it. Jonathan, you got any numbers back there so they can shout by number? Now, that, that's true. You know, we bring criticism on ourselves. You ladies bear the brunt of our preaching on standards because, you know, we men go out there with a suit on and a tie and we look about like the rest of them used to. Most of them look like screwballs today. Uh, you know, I, I get on a plane and I, I see the people on the plane and this guy's sitting there in cut-off jeans and sandals or, or loafers without any socks on and hasn't shaved for two or three days and not sure how he smells. I try not to get that close. And used to be I'd say that guy was a beach bum. bum. He may be a neurosurgeon. You know, I mean, people are crazy. They, they, they've lost their... Uh, the Bible in, in Romans 1 says that because they had no pleasure in the truth, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That means a mind that is void of judgment, a mind that can't make logical, common sense decisions. And the devil will make you look as foolish and as stupid as you possibly can. I'm old enough to remember zoot suits, bell-bottom trousers. But I really think those things were almost classic compared to what some of these kids are wearing today. If you told them they had to go out looking like that, why, man would have a rebellion that would shake the land. I, I used to think that these boys were wearing skirts, you know, these britches that they wear just above or below their knees, and, and uh, really, they're a reflection on culottes. Okay, I don't know how that all got in here, but the, the acceptance of immorality uh, illustrated for us by Thyatira. Then the uh, illustration by Sardis of a, having a name that we're alive, but we're dead. Oh, let's not be guilty, friend. Let's not be guilty. I admire and appreciate L.W. Barbie. How old are you, Doc? Eighty what? I know that, but how old are you? Eighty-six. And he's still uh, loving the Lord and is alive and dynamic and seeing things. He gave me a little article that he wrote the other day that's excellent. That mind is still working. And, and I appreciate that. Let's not be dead. You, you may not be able to do what you used to do physically, but you can keep the fire burning on the altar of your heart. We need to do that. Then the asset of lukewarm, pardon me, the liability of little strength illustrated by Philadelphia and of lukewarmness illustrated by uh, Laodicea. But let's look at some of the assets. There are assets there in Revelation 2 and 3 as well. I'm talking about understanding the atmosphere of our times. Jesus said to that, uh, those seven churches that they had works and labor and patience. Be not weary in well-doing. We've got a little lady in our church, uh, an unmarried lady, and I suppose she's probably in her 50s now, and uh, you'd never know it to be around her, but she's somewhat of a successful businesswoman, and uh, she lives alone, and like a lot of you old maids are, she's very uh, regimented, you know. She probably does her laundry one day or shopping another and something else another, and don't disrupt her schedule. But you know what she does? Every Sunday when church is over, she heads for the nursing homes. 
Now, she doesn't sing, she doesn't preach, she doesn't teach, but she goes out to the nursing homes and she wheels the patients into the dining room for the chapel service and she writes letters for them and she reads things to them and she, uh, she usually gets there a little bit late for the Sunday night service. I have no criticism. I know where she's been. What are you doing for Jesus? How many pies have you gals baked lately and taken over to somebody that's hard to get along with? How many rebellious teenagers have you called in and, and sat down and, and given them Pepsi, I suppose, tastes like black drop to me, but most of them seem to like it. Given them a Pepsi and a cookie or a handful of chips and let them talk. Let them talk. One of our ladies got up the other night and they've just moved into a new home, a new neighborhood and uh, not really that great of a neighborhood. And she's telling how that a couple of teenagers came by and wanted to meet her girls and wanted to talk to them, wanted to take them for a walk. And she said she can only walk as far as I can see her, but uh, they've, been, they've been back to the home and she's letting them come. That's good. Ken Morgan and his wife, we call them Jean and Pauline, they're in Chicago. When their boys were growing up, their home was a meeting place. All the kids flocked in. And, and uh, Pauline, I don't think you sing, do you? I never heard you sing, and she doesn't play an instrument or anything like that. But uh, she knew how to cook, and they had a warm and a hospitable home. And it was always a place of young people coming and going. You say, bless God, young people don't like me because I'm too radical. No, you're too sour. I'm serious about this. I have question marks about anyone's relationship with God if little children don't like them. That's right. You say, but I've got arthritis. What does that have to do with grace? You can smile when you hurt. One of the best ways in the world to forget about how bad you feel is get busy doing something for somebody else. You know, I, I guess it's all right for a lot of you folks to come down here and kind of retire as long as you don't quit. Nothing, nothing wrong with getting out of the cold if you don't. I like it. I like snow and ice. Told you I was different. God gave us 21 inches just one day back the 1st of January. That was great. You know, people get quieter. There's less sin. There's less crime at a time like that than there is any other time. Those birds are holed up. They can't get out. We need to understand the time that we're in and, and that God has people, even today, that are excelling in works and labor and patience. And he said some have not denied the faith and some have held on to true doctrine. A lot of people have got Elijah's complex. Remember? Lord, I'm the only one left. Nobody but me. I had a holiness preacher tell me one time he's still living. I can take you to him. I won't. I'm afraid of what he'd tell you. But he said to me, he said, Glenn Griffith and I are the only true holiness preachers left in America. Now we just got one. Glenn's gone to heaven. First time I went to, uh, to Jamaica, I went with a good friend of mine. And he said, Brother Reed, he said, I don't think you and I ought to ride on the same plane. I said, why? Well, he said, if that plane went down, what would Christendom do? A lot of folks have got that complex. You know, I'm the only one left, Lord. You better take care of me because anything happens to me, you're in trouble. 
It amazes me where God has His saints stuck. I mean that. A few years ago, Warren Pamp's widow, I got a call that there was a lady down in subsidized housing in Chicago uh, that, that wanted to see me, wanted me to call on her, and I went down there. And uh, man, it was like going into an armed camp. I grew up not too many blocks from there, but that place has changed. Just half a block down the street, Dave Wilkerson had Teen Challenge. And, and that, that, it's, it's the ghetto uh, exemplified. It's the epitome of a ghetto. But anyway, down in that place, and in that subsidized housing, up on about the eighth or ninth floor, when I rang the bell, she came down. There was a little Grace Pamp, that little Indian woman that loved God and is a blessing. And all the time that she lived in Chicago, she came to our church. Some of our people had to drive through the traffic and go down into the inner city and get her and bring her home, but she was there. And it just simply amazes me where God places His children. Steve Sturdivant's little booklets about orchids on a wasted hillside, or is it wasted orchids on a hillside? And uh, he told about seeing those orchids in New Guinea, you know, just out there blooming by themselves. There no reason, nobody there to enjoy it, no villages, nothing around. And he uses it to tell the story of his wife's death, his first wife's death, and being buried over there as a young wife and a young mother. God doesn't have any wasted orchids. He knows them. He sees them. He knows where you are. You may think that nobody knows anything about it. Nobody appreciates it. Nobody cares. He does. He does. He sees every tear that falls. He knows every pain that racks your body. He knows every lonely sigh that escapes your lips. He knows when you can't sleep at night and you remember days that are past and gone and you wish they were back again. That's all part of the time that we're living in. Hold steady. He's going to give you grace. And he's going to get you home. Jesus said there were some of them that had undefiled garments. And there were some that had divinely opened doors of service. These were the assets of the day that we're living in. Amos, you're going to have to leave. I won't get back to this. Let me quickly give you the rest of the points and you can develop a sermon out of it. Number three is we need to understand our place in history. Number four, we need to understand the temptation of taking on the color of our surroundings. Number five, we need to understand the slowness of God. Remember the Methodist bishop that was pacing back and forth in prayer and one of his aides said, Bishop, what in the world's wrong with you? He said, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. That's right. One day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. I like the way, was it Brother Fay or Brother Barr brought it out? It's always now with God. There isn't any yesterday or tomorrow. He knows everything right now. Someday we'll enjoy that, but we aren't yet. Uh, number six is the working of Satan. We need to understand that. Number seven, the end of the wicked. Uh, number eight, the deep need of an unsanctified heart. We need to understand that. Number nine, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And number ten, we need to understand how to get understanding. So talk about it while you eat lunch. Will you? You're dismissed. Take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention. Featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com.
This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to lose the fight. I don't want to lose the fight.